Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to look at your word and have you teach us what you would want us to te learn. And we just thank you and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians 5, verse 22 through verse 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Last week we talked about the works of the flesh, all right? And we're not going to go over them again this week, but I wanted to note one special thing about last week, so it is the works of the flesh. That is what we do. Today's message is only going to be on the first three words that we read. <laughs> it was, but the fruit. The fruit. And we're going to be going to John 15 if you want to hit, get a head start to getting there. The fruit. We produce something that doesn't come from us. We produce something that comes from God. And that's why I just wanted to talk about this. This is going to be in contrast to the works of the flesh, what we do. So if you go to John 15, we're going to read the first eight verses in John 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away, and every branch that is, bears fruit, he purges it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit in itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me, and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and, in, and withers. The man gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If, they abide, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Wherein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, as so shall you be my disciples. Bearing fruit. We talk a lot about this is how do we get into God's kingdom? And this was one of the stories, you know, we did two themes this week with the kids. One was the armor of God, and one was two kingdoms, good and bad. And the second thing was every time I asked the kids, how do you get into the good kingdom, the answer they usually gave me was do good things. And it's pretty sad that these kids have been in, the, in with us for so long as they have been, and they still haven't got the message is that it's in Jesus Christ. But it scares me that many of our adults may not fully understand that yet. We get into the kingdom of Christ by being attached to the vine. We grow spiritually and produce the fruit that he wants us to produce by being attached to Jesus, the vine. Uh, now, I'm not a very good gardener. <laughs> Matter of fact, anything, any plant I touch pretty much dies. But I, but I do know that if I take a vine and I cut it away from the root, that vine's not going to last long. Okay? And this is what Jesus is telling us. We must be attached to him. He is the substance of our life. He is the root of our life. He is the vine that feeds us. And we need to be attached to him. 
If we want to be unattached, we'll be withered dead vines. And the sad problem is that Jesus said that in, those, in the last day, many will come to him saying, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And you look at the list. Didn't I cast out demons? I healed people. I went to the jails. I gave water. I fed clothed people. They did all the good works that Christians are supposed to be doing. And they're going, he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Because the works are not what gets us into heaven. God is a good judge. He says that once you've earned death, which is one sin, that's what you're going to get. It takes Jesus. And the thing we always want to remember is Jesus paid for all sin. It's not he paid for some of our sins and then it's up to us from that point on. And I know lots of Christians who seem to think that way. I've never been in a church that taught that, but even in churches that don't teach it, there's this idea that God saved me, I'm, I, you know, he did me good, now, now I've got to go out and earn the rest of it. And we've talked about this. If you're out there doing things in your own flesh, it's not going to stand up before God. It'll be wood, hay, and stubble because God says the flesh does not stand in for him. The works of the flesh are all always evil, always bad, always tend to bring death. God says you are to be fruit. You are to bear fruit. We bear fruit because we are attached to Jesus and his life pours into us. His life then comes out of us and it produces fruit that we cannot produce of our own. We are out there witnessing to people, sharing the gospel. People look at us and say, you know, usually they'll say, well, there's something weird about that Christian person. I don't understand them. They, you know, bad things happen and they're not crushed and destroyed. There's a story about a pastor who came home from church one night and his house had burned down. And then they, they was interviewed and he goes, well, at least nobody was home. Nobody got hurt. Yeah. That's not the normal response of a person looking at their entire possessions being burned down. The Christian gets into, a, into pain or, or, or hurt. What is our attitude? It should be, thank you, God. I don't know why, but you're doing something. The apostles, we've said this over and over, the apostles' attitude was, thank you that I'm worthy of suffering for Christ. Is that our attitude when we suffer? Or is it like, God, why are you doing this for me? I'm going to be miserable now because you made life bad. Well, it's not him making life bad. It's the sin, sin nature in the world making it bad. But nonetheless, he uses what happens to us. We need to be able to say, God, thank you. I don't know why. And I'm not saying, thank you for being hurt. That's not what I'm trying to say. We're not supposed to be... Uh, you know, somebody who likes to enjoy being in pain. But by the same token, God's got a plan for it. Nothing happens in our life that God did not know what's going to happen. And I've said this over and over. The one thing you're never going to hear God say, boy, I didn't know that was going to happen. <laughs> you're never going to hear that from God's lips. He knew it was going to happen. He knew when he created the angels that Lucifer would sin have pride issue and sin and be cast out of heaven. He knew when he created man that man was going to sin and turn against him. He knew before he created anything that Jesus would have to go to the cross to become sin and disease and everything else that went with sin. Because sin brought death and disease and destruction. Jesus went on to the cross and he took all the sin, all the disease, all the destruction upon himself that we deserve. 
Doesn't mean that we don't go through some of it, but he took it. He took the pain. He knows what it is to go through that. And then rose three days after that. Death could not hold him. Death could not hold him. Can you imagine that Satan would have thought he had the victory? He killed the Son of God on that cross. For three days, he thought he had won. But he knew that he said he was going to come back, so he knew that third day was the big deal. Could he keep him in the grave? I can guarantee that all of, all of the legions of hell and the, and the devil were there to try to keep Jesus from coming back. But you can't keep God from doing what he wants to do. And Satan should have known better. And yet it, it, he was defeated. At the cross, Satan was defeated. And we got life when we accept that gift. The gift of God, eternal life. And we've talked about this. Eternal life does not begin when our flesh dies. It begins the moment we accept the gift of Jesus and we get attached to the root and we start getting life. And I hope that when you got saved, you remember what it felt like to become alive. Many years ago, but I still remember what it was like to become alive. I love it when I'm witnessing to somebody and they say that sinner's prayer and you see that they've become alive. Their spirit has been given to them. They're attached to the root and fruit will start to produce. And it says here that if you don't produce fruit, the Father will come along and trim you up. One thing I do know about plants, if you want your fruit, your fruit or something to grow bigger, you cut away the extra flowers and the extra, extra vines and you let the nutrients go to just a couple of flowers. Uh, saw that in, when I was in Guam and I watched them take the banana trees and they kept chopping the bottom of the bunch of bananas off. I'm going, why do you do that? And I go, well, we want, we want bananas that are bigger than fingers. And they, they would grow big. Yeah. So, and the same thing with tomato plants and all these other plants. If you really want big tomatoes, you have to cut off the rest of the blooms. You get fewer, but you get bigger of what you, you get or you go with a whole bunch of little ones. Either way. But God comes along and he keeps trimming us. He's looking for good fruit. Good fruit. So he's going to trim. He's going to provide for us. And usually what he's trimming away is all those dead works that we have. And we all enjoy that trimming, I know. I've been there myself. I really enjoy it. Yeah, no, obviously I don't. It's painful. I know it's for my good. But knowing that it's for your good does not usually make it any less painful. All it does is allow you to say, God, I know you've got a plan and it's for my good. So I'm willing to accept it. And, you know, Paul told us in 2 Thessalonians to, in everything, rejoice. You know, in everything, rejoice. It didn't say, in all the good things that happened to you, rejoice. It, says whenever, it doesn't say, when everything's going good, <laughs> rejoice. In everything, rejoice. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. He's got a plan. You know, and you go, well, Paul had it easy. Well, I don't know. Paul was under the Emperor Nero who was killing Christians all, every time he could. So you know, I can't really say he had it good. Everywhere he went, there was an opportunity that he was going to get arrested and, and killed because he was a Christian and it was against the law under Nero to be a Christian. Nero did one of the great persecutions of Christians. So when they said, you know, in everything give thanks, they were not living in a perfect, idyllic paradise. They had just as much trouble or more than we have. 
And they're saying, give thanks. When he told us in, in Romans, obey the government. <laughs> you're going, you go, well, he must have had a good government. No, again, it was Nero that he was saying, obey Nero and these, and these crazy Romans who are, are telling you wrong things. But by the same token, they said, when they're against God, you obey God rather than men. <coughs> and it's important that when we have laws that are against God's law, we obey God. Now, the, on the flip side of that is, when we get our punishment, we get punished for disobeying government. And we take our example from the apostles, and, the, and they took it willingly. And again, they said, thank God, I'm willing to suffer for Christ. And we, we've got decisions ahead of us here in the near future on are we going to obey God, or are we going to obey man? And it's going to get worse. You know, we, this couple weeks ago, we had the Supreme Court tell us that homosexual marriage is legal in America. We as Christians have to say, okay, God, you say homosexuality is a sin, and you say marriage is between a husband and a wife, and we need to take a stand. And as long as I'm pastor in this church, we're going to take a stand that it's not going to happen in this church. Now, having said that, I may get arrested and taken away, and you'll have somebody else to have to make that stand. <laughs> but whoever it is, make sure that they're going to take a same biblical stand. Because we need to obey God. Because I've said over and over, if we can't trust this word and live on this word, we're wasting our time. If, if this is not true and it's not something we can stand on, we might as well not come and, and gather up because there's, we're wasting our time trying to feel good, listening to a good, you know, good music and this boring guy talking to you. Uh, but it's important for us to stand on his word. And as things get worse, it's going to get harder. In the Roman times, it was hard to be a Christian. But their example converted the world. Twelve men preaching the gospel turned the world upside down. And we benefited from that. We benefited for almost a, a millennia and a half of having Christianity reign at least through Europe and America. And we benefited from that. Times are changing. Times are changing. We see the violence that are going on, and if you look at the history, we're returning back to what it's always been. We're returning back to what the flesh wants. The, 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 the violence and the, and, the, and the harshness. You know, if you go back to the Roman days and before that, a disabled child would have been killed from the moment of birth. Matter of fact, most children you didn't want would be killed. You only wanted one heir and you killed all the rest. And that was normal. We're returning back to that kind of thinking. If somebody got hurt and lame, it was not a problem. You didn't care about them. They, just, they, they were too weak to live. You let them die. But in Christianity came along and we said, we're going to build hospitals. We're going to build places to care for people that are sick. We're going to have orphanages. Why? Because we understood we are created in God's image and every single human was, had worth. The further our world gets away from God's truth, the worse it's going to get. We're going to go back to what we talked about last week, all of the works of the flesh. We as Christians need to stand up and say, we're going to stand up for God. It's going to make us very unpopular. We're already becoming unpopular. When we say that something is a sin, people look at us and say, well, you're, you know, when we say homosexuality is a sin, you're just afraid of, hum of, of, of homosexuality. You're homophobes. When we say that Living together is wrong. They go, oh, you're just, 
you know, living old-fashioned, you're, you're, you're afraid of the sexual freedom movement that we had. No, we hold God's standards. We hold God's standards. When we say that somebody who is a drunk is sinning, they look at us and say, no, it's his disease. You, know, you should know that. It's alcoholism. It's a disease. They can't help themselves. Everything is being turned around in the Bible. We've got a long list of things in the Bible that are called sins. And they say, oh, no, they're not sins. It's just you old-fashioned people who aren't up with the times. Well, we need to hold on to the Bible. Again, the Bible is either all correct and all true, or none of it's worth believing in. I'm going to keep hammering that on us because we've got decisions coming our way that are going to, do I believe God in his word, or am I going to compromise? Today's lesson in the Sunday school that in Amy's class, they talked about Nebuchadnezzar raising up the golden idol and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down to that idol. And I've always loved their answer to Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, who's going to deliver you from me? <laughs> what God can deliver you from me? And their answer is classic. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not worship your idol. Our God is able to deliver us, but whether he does or whether he does not, we will not bow down. We need to be ready to make that, de that decision in this world. When people come to us and say, you've got to do this or that, that's against the Bible. God can deliver us. And there's, all through history, there's all kinds of examples of God delivering those who stand for him, up for him. But just as fully, there's all kinds of examples of people who gave their life for stand for God and became a martyr. But their willingness to stand for God also was a witness that has resonated through the millennia and says, this person had something they're willing to die for. Do we believe God well enough to die for him? And I hear lots of people, well, yes, I have, I'm willing to die for him. And then you watch, as soon as somebody gives them a hard time, they go, well, I'm willing to die for you, God, but I'm not willing to be made, a, made fun of. You know, God, I'd die for you. I'd let him chop my head up, but I don't want him to make fun of me. I don't want to lose my job over this. I need, I need the money to pay my bills, God. I can't lose my job. But I'm willing to die for you, God. If they're going to send me to heaven, I'll be okay with that. But don't ask me anything less. We don't need to be living in that kind of lifestyle. We need to be making a stand. Christians should be probably the most non-politically correct people that there are. And it's one of the reasons that we're made fun of as often as we are, because there are those who are making strong stands, say, we're going to stand for God. And then they look at Christians and say, you guys are really, you know, you don't love people. You're not, you're not willing to, to accept them for who they are. Well, we're willing to love them. We're just not going to love their sin. And we've talked a lot about this. Christians divide the two. And it's easy for us to divide the two because we know that people are sinners. <laughs> And we want to love the people, but we know that their sin is not who they are. In the world, if you take sociology or psychology classes, they're going to tell you that what they do is who they are and that you can't separate them. The world does not understand homosexuality to them is not a sin. It's who they are. Being a thief is not a sin. It's who they are. They're a kleptomaniac. They just can't help themselves. They're not drunk. They're alcoholics. They, the world does not separate the activity from who they are. So then when we say we love the sinner but hate the sin, 
They don't understand. The world does not understand when we say that statement. It's hard for us to understand it. And we have the right foundation that they're a sinner and the sin is different. We have the right foundation. We can, we can understand it, and yet, I've talked to many people and myself, it is hard for us to understand how to separate the two because we've had too much of the world's influence put in us. Too much of the world's influence put in us. Worldview, your worldview is critical. Is it a biblical, godly worldview or has it been poisoned by Satan's worldview? Satan has an answer. We've talked about this back when we did the Truth Project, way back when I first started here. We talked about how Satan has a lie for every truth that God has. Satan has one or thousands of lies for it. How do we get to heaven? Through Jesus Christ only. The world, just be, be good, do good, you know, or even worse, everybody makes it to heaven. God would never send anybody to hell. You know, there's hundreds of ways to get there. Just, just try to be good. And God says, no, there's one. Do we have our minds poisoned? I started out, so many people think that if I do good works, even Christians get to this habit, if I do good works, God's going to like me more or, or make me more special. Nope. It's the fruit. It's the fruit. We need to be careful. We need to really look at having a biblical world view. And it is so easy to have our worldview poisoned. We look at things like divorce. God says there's only one reason for a divorce, and that is for adultery. And that's not a requirement. You don't have to get divorced just because there's adultery. But he says that's the only reason for adultery, uh, for a divorce. <laughs> and yet... We as Christians oftentimes will go, well, you know, you've been really mistreated by that spouse of yours. You should just dump them and go get somebody new. You know, they're not committing adultery, but, you know, they're, they're wasting all their money on alcohol. They're not, not mean to you necessarily, but they're wasting all your money. You know, they're a workaholic. They're never home. Just dump them. You know, and we've all heard those reasons. <laughs> we probably maybe even said to somebody, Oh, yeah, you, you deserve to get rid of them and be happy. You need to be happy. And God says, no. <laughs> Here's my standard. Here's my standard. And I don't want to condemn people who are divorced, and I know there are some in this room that have been divorced for the wrong reasons. I'm not condemning you because it is the way it is. God forgives that. Every sin that we can do, he'll forgive. Those, to murder a child, the world tells us, well, that child is going to, maybe, maybe going to be handicapped or disabled, so let's just abort that child. Doctors are always telling women when they do those tests, you know, hey, this kid's going to be a, be a handful for you because of their disability. Just get rid of it. Sad point of view, and yet we all know people who have done those decisions. We need to say, God, what is your view? God, what is it you want us to do? It'll make us better off anyway because there's always consequences for every in, inactivity. My parents got, married, uh, got divorced when I was 15. Then they got remarried, and one of them got divorced again. <laughs> but the effect of divorce on people, I've talked to so many people that have been divorced 20 or 30 years, and they're still angry at the person that, they're divorced, that they divorced. You know, it is, it is sad. But because God said marriage is gluing yourselves together, when they rip themselves apart in divorce, if you've ever glued two pieces of wood together or soldered metal together, and you try to take them apart, and I'm talk to, not talking about Elmer's glue, I'm talking about good wood glue, it doesn't rip at the glued point. 
It rips the wood or the metal. And it's the same thing that happens with a divorce. It rips the souls of the individual and they have damaged souls. The damage that's done to the soul when we sin is terrible. We want to be careful. It's forgivable. God can heal it, but it takes God to heal it. And we want to see him heal it. So my, my encouragement is, let's get attached to Jesus. Let's produce the fruit that comes from him. Let's work on getting a biblical world view. Because it's going to be critical. This world is keeps going to get is going to keep getting worse. Let's get the right words. It's going to keep getting worse. The further we get from God's word, the further we get from his standards. Our country was founded not on the Constitution, as everybody wants to be taught. Our founding father said it was, con- it was cre- standing on Christian morals and ethics. Over and over in their writings, that's what they said. It was founded on the Christian morality, which is why republics and democracies do not work in places that do not have a Christian moral ethic. When we try to put it in a Muslim country, democracies don't work because there's no moral standard that they built it on. It didn't work in most of South America. It didn't work because there was not a moral characteristic. In South America, if you want to do anything, you've got to pay your bribes. It's an automatic. It's part of the government. And if you don't want to pay the bribes, you don't get your stuff. My dad went to be a missionary in Quito, Ecuador, and he refused to pay the bribe to the, to the port masters for six months. <laughs> he finally decided to pay the bribe, and he had his stuff the next day. Okay. Why? Because their foundation is not built upon the Christian moral ethics. And if you try to build your, you know, build anything that's not on Christian moral ethics, you're going to have trouble. As our country gets worse, it's going to fall apart. And we're going to find how hard it is to stand on God's word and his moral ethics. Because it's going to be a hard, hard time to do. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and we're going to have communion and sing some songs. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask that you help us, Lord, to learn to be engrafted into you, to grow fruit, that you are our life. You are the the way that we do that. Lord, we ask that you come into that and help us. Lord, we ask that you help us continue to learn your words and help us change our worldview to match yours so that we can stand up when the world changes and that we can, can live for you, even if it means pain and death. And we just thank you for all of this, Lord. If anyone doesn't know you as their Savior, Lord, we ask that you burden their heart that they're a sinner deserving punishment and accept your sacrifice and and your life so that they can be made alive. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.